recorded live. Welcome, everyone, to our Sunday night Bible study on TalkShoe. I appreciate all you folks being there in the chat room. Appreciate you being there tonight live, Brother Kenny. Hope all the family's listening. How you doing, Brother Jason? Doing well, praise the Lord. Amen, brother. Amen. Glad you're here. Glad we had a good conversation yesterday. Appreciate you calling, brother. Hope Amen, all you, brother. Hope, hope all you folks are doing well. well. Folks, tonight we're going to eventually get into... Um, Mark chapter 4, but before we get into Mark chapter 4, I'm going to give you folks a treat, and I want you, like I said earlier before the program started, if there's anybody that's came in since I started playing the music, get you a pen and some paper. There's some things you might want to write down, or either you can listen to the program over and over again. For the first part of the program tonight, we're going to hear from my Bible professor, Dr. Peter S. Rutland. Going to this is um, what you're fixing to hear. You'll notice by some of the things that he says how I, it's been incorporated into the teaching that you've heard from me. Because what I've done, I've told you many times. One night I gave you a list of all the people that I had studied under, and um, Dr. Peter S. Rutman being the most prominent one, I spent 20 years under him. 
not counting the time in, in Bible college. And um, the man's got about 190 IQ, five earned degrees, all that stuff you'll never be able to tell it by listening to him. But I'll let you find out in just a few minutes anyway. It's going to be talking about finding absolute truth. And this is what everybody needs to get to start with when dealing with the Word of God. Because once your confidence is built in the book and you're not running around trying to find something like it's hidden, I'm talking about some Greek manuscript or some BS like that, and once you get confidence in the book, then the, the whole scriptures will they'll open to you, the Holy Spirit can teach you, bring into remembrance the things that needs to be there, and everything else. And, and, and of course, you know where I stand on that. And it was because of um, what you're fixing to hear that I got grounded and founded myself. At one time in my early Christian life, my faith in the book wavered for about six hours. Yep, that's right. I remember um, the pastor that I had at the time in a little Southern Baptist or Missionary Baptist church up in North Alabama got some new Bible. I was teaching Sunday school at the time and got some new uh, um, some new Bibles in and wanted me to teach out of a new Schofield reference Bible. And that and I started using it, but I started notice, I noticed the differences in the words and there was no power there. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I've spent enough time in programs gone by screaming and spitting and slobbering, yelling. So um that's the way we're gonna start the program out tonight with this about absolute truth, the actualities, the possibilities, the theories, and at the end you will hear the scientific proofs of God's revelation. Mathematical scientific proofs, and I know some of you remember when I brought that up ad nauseum probably in the past to you. But anyway, having said that, Brother Jason, if you would open us in a word of prayer, brother. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather together in your name as we fellowship and we study your word. We lift Brother Don up to you, Lord. We ask that you bless him as he leads us through the scriptures here and also shares with us this message from Dr. Ruckman. And also, Lord, pray for those that might download this program, that you'd give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart for you, Lord. And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, folks, we're fixing to begin right now. And I hope you understand what you're fixing to hear, and I hope you appreciate what you're fixing to hear because it's it'll be well worth your time in the end. Now, uh, what you're about to see here is going to be a very lengthy video on what we call absolute truth. And if there were a title to be given to this series of studies, it would be absolute truth versus the wisdom of this world. These original charts were made to be used in the Ukraine and Romanian Bulgaria several years ago, and they were translated into Romanian and German, as well as English. 
These charts are designed mainly for the foreign mission field to teach Christians overseas the great truths of the Word of God. And these charts you're about to see can be translated into any language overseas, but anybody wants to use them for study in any kind of study for any kind of Christians. These charts constitute a four-year undergraduate study in Bible and about two years of seminary. And although we don't go into Greek and Hebrew in these charts, the thing you're going to learn before we proceed much further is that no knowledge of Greek and Hebrew is necessary to learn what you're about to learn. The universal language of this end time, of course, is English. And if your people would do better to have these charts in some other language, then get them into some other language. If you can use them as they stand in English, use them as they stand in English. But this is a search for absolute truth, and we'll show you what absolute truth is. In distinction, say, from all the wisdom of the world gathered by all the world's religious leaders and philosophical leaders since the dawn of creation. That'll be the contrast. All right, now this will constitute a college of seminary education in Bible. And there are two things I'm not going to spend a great deal of time with. One is manuscript evidence, which is thoroughly covered in this work, which we published years ago, called The Christian Handbook of Biblical Scholarship. We're not going to waste time on these charts to get into all the Greek and Hebrew texts, original autographs, manuscript evidence, transmission of texts, copy, copious errors, and all that kind of stuff, because it's all in here. It's not only in here, but it's in here illustrated, as you can see. And this little booklet here, this little book runs over 100, and it runs over 300, 360 pages of study on Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, translations, versions, revisions, and so forth and so on. So the fact that we are omitting this material doesn't mean we haven't thoroughly mastered this material and don't have all the answers here, too. We do have all the answers here. It's simply in a course life we're going to teach you, which will run about six hours, we can't get in all the uh, niceties and all the details of manuscript evidence. So we have a book on manuscript evidence. It's called the Christian Handbook of Biblical Scholarship, and deals with all the scholars, all of them, not just Nestles and Westcott and Hort and Tregellis and Tischendorf and Alfred and Von Zoden and the rest of them, but with would-be scholars like John R. Rice and Curtis Hudson and Bob Jones III and Sumner Went and Robert Sumner and Harold Wilmington, the faculty and staffs of Liberty Baptist University, Pensacola Christian College, Tennessee Temple, Baptist Bible College, and all that junk will be taken care of in there. That is the Christian Handbook of Biblical Scholarship. We'll put that right down here as a basis so you'll understand in the next six hours we don't have to even discuss that material. That material has always been thoroughly, discuss, thoroughly discussed years and years ago. The second thing we're not going to take a great deal of time out with is what you call science. That's only been covered years and years ago and thoroughly illustrated. This book uh, put out by our Pensacola Bible Press is called The Christian Handbook, The Christian Handbook of Science and Philosophy. It also so contains a section in it on psychiatry, abnormal psychiatry. We discuss all of the work, all of it. 
In this thing here, will uh, you'll you'll find complete discussions of evolution of DNA, RNA, molecules, the old business about polypeptide chains of amino acids, but black holes in outer space, erratic boulders, polystrate of fossils, the whole cotton picking mess. And this book here runs over 340 pages. So we're not going to waste time. It's illustrated. We're not going to waste time talking about science and Greek and Hebrew manuscripts because we've already thoroughly covered them all from every angle you possibly could cover them by, so there's absolutely nothing left. It's all taken care of. In better words, the next six hours, you're going to be dealing with the text of the Bible. And we'll make a few comments from time to time about the wisdom of this world and the fools who profess to believe in it and follow it. And we will contrast it constantly with the absolute truth of the one who said, I am the way, absolute, the truth, absolute, and the life, absolute. We'll be dealing with absolute truth in this thing it's about to follow, not Darwin's monkey men. So there's not going to be a great deal in this video about evolution. If you want to get that, you'll find that on another set of videos from the bookstore called Puddle to Paradise, The Modern Pilgrim's Progress. And if you want the tapes on manuscript evidence and Hebrew and Greek, we have another video on that that runs about six hours. This tape here will show you how to believe the book, understand the book, and teach the book. That's what this thing is about. And lest anybody think that we're uh, as rude in knowledge as we are in speech, Remember what the Apostle Paul said, though root in knowledge, root in, in speech, yet not root in knowledge. He said his speech was contemptible. Well, uh, that doesn't cut any ice with me one way or another. That's the way the snow drifts. And we're not going to waste time condescending and bowing down and stooping to the level of some of you PhDs and MDs and bishops and popes and priests who don't have the sense that God gave a brass monkey and aren't going to have any in the next 20 years. If you've been fooled and tricked and trapped by your religious tradition and by the wisdom of this world, that's your problem, not ours. And we haven't got time to waste time with you. What we're dealing with now is a bunch of people coming up who need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's what you're going to get for about six hours if you can stand it. All right, now look up here on the chart, finding the truth. How does a man find the truth? Well, there's some theories. We list them. There's some realities. We list them. There's some possibilities. We list them. And then there are actualities. That is, something has happened. And finally, the proof that something did happen. Now, this is basic. When I say basic, I simply mean but we're beginning here with the basic truth of reality, the fact that you're watching me, and you're a human being. We're starting there. We're starting with the fact that I'm talking. I just took off my glasses. See, that's where we're beginning. Nobody's trying to teach you religion at this point. We're not even going to discuss religion. Matter of fact, religion is going to be the last thing we're going to discuss in the next six hours. We're discussing absolute truth. Now, the truth is, you're there and I'm here. That's the truth. Now, you can pretend that isn't so. 
For example, you can say this. The universe is an optical illusion. It doesn't really exist. Now, Buddha went that way. He said it existed, but it was an optical illusion. What you see wasn't there, and what was there you didn't see. We're not going to argue that point. That point is obviously true. But the Bible makes that statement many, 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 many years before Buddha is born. Paul says the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are unseen are eternal. The writer of Hebrews writing hundreds, hundreds of years before Gautama Buddha ever sat down under the bow tree had this comment to say, which was proved by Dr. Milliken in the 20th century, and they gave him a Nobel uh, Prize, a prize in science for proving this theorem, which somebody wrote more than uh, 900 years before he was born, wrote, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things that do appear, obviously. You don't see atomic structure. And when you do, you can't get below the quasars and the quirks and the quacks and the quinks and the quinks. You're going to sign a name to anything, Sonny. Don't kid me. Don't think because you've got your own treatment terminology that you're smart and I'm not. i got treatment terminology you wouldn't understand either. Oh, I know you can pretend the thing isn't there. It's just an optical illusion. Well, it may be an optical illusion, but certain things are there. For example, you're there and I'm here. Got that? Buddha says, well, you're not there. Uh, I'm over here. We're one. Yin and yang, you see. Right away you get into this peculiar teaching that reality cannot be understood because what you see is all false. You see the door there, the light there, the dog there, the cat here, and you here. And in many Oriental religions, your job is to get them together. So they're all one. No polarities, which means no good, no evil. You know what that means eventually? It means God is Satan and heaven is hell. You keep pushing, that's where you wind up. It's a unity. Well, I said, the job here in this uh, particular oral religion is how to get at one with the universe. The universe, according to absolute truth, Second Peter chapter 3, is going to burn up. If you're one with the universe, you're going to be a, you're going to be a toasted marshmallow. You're going to be, be a piece of burnt barbecue. All right, now here are the theories on how this thing is actually here, how it got here. That is, regardless of what you think about becoming one with the universe, 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 universal, becoming one with the infinite, indestructible presence of whatever is there, called the universe, regardless of what you think about it, it's here. So you know, quit eating and you find out you drop dead. Anytime you think you're one of the living universe, quit eating and you'll drop dead. And that puts you to bed with a shovel. If you think that door in the house isn't there, try to walk through it when it's shut. If you think that all things are the same, then just wait till it gets you a good fire and get it up to about, uh, you know, about uh, 2,000 degrees and then put your hand in it. 
And don't walk across it like the uh, yogas do the burning coals. Just leave your hand there about an hour. Exercise key. See if you've got any hand left. We're dealing with reality. We're talking about absolute truth in these tapes. We're talking about things as you find them right in front of your face right now. Or the theories. How did reality come here? How did how the sun, moon, stars get here? How did the trees get here? How did the bushes get here? How did how did you get here? What are you doing thinking that you're you? Number one, the first theory is the universe came from nothing accidentally. Nothing there. You said to be something there. Well, that's down here, two and three. Do it two and four. If there's something out there, then it has always been there. If it hasn't always been there, there was a time when nothing was there. You can't beat this thing with a stick. This universe either has always been here, or it came from nothing accidentally, or it came from nothing supernaturally, or it ain't here. That's all there is. Now, you know what I've just taught you right now? Absolute truth. Nothing I said was relevant to anything. There are only four ways that you could be aware of the fact right now that I'm talking to you on some place called the Earth that's in the solar system. There are only four ways. Those four ways are not taught in one school in the United States. No school in the United States dares teach that one. They don't ever even mention it. That one is called religion. These are, this one is called science. That one is called science. That one is called the funny farm. Or knock yourself out on drugs or take a trip. That one there puts you in the nut house. If you ever adopt the teaching that the whole thing you see is unreal, you begin to live in unreality. If you think that everything in the universe is the same, no polarities, then for goodness sake, don't drive a car. There isn't a Zen Buddhist in Japan that doesn't have to observe the difference between two different colored lights. And there's no yin and yang to it. You get killed going to the wrong light. We're talking about reality, not religion. We're talking about reality, not philosophy. We're talking about reality. Reality comes here one of three ways. It comes from nothing accidentally. Reality, this, number one, is a violation of the first law of thermodynamics. Neither matter nor energy can be created or destroyed. Energy can only be transformed or transferred. That's a scientific law that can be demonstrated. Here's a fellow who says, when you Christians believe in miracles, you can't demonstrate your miracle. You can't demonstrate that either. But you can demonstrate that. And that shows that one there is a lie. First theory is a bummer. It doesn't work. You say, why? It's not scientific. 
something scientific can be proved and demonstrated. That can be demonstrated. That can't. Mark it out. That's not a scientific theory. The theories, number one, false. It's not scientific. Now, let's understand what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about somebody's religious belief. I've been talking about demonstrable laws that can be demonstrated in a laboratory, outside of a laboratory, anytime, anywhere on the face of this earth. If I take a string here and tie a watch to the end of it or a ball of lead or a pair of pliers and keep my hand perfectly stationary and let that thing swing and then keep my hand perfectly still, it'll quit swinging. That's a demonstration. That's a demonstration. That's a demonstration of a scientific law. But unless you keep putting more energy into it, it'll wear out. We call that entropy. Number two, theory. The universe has always been here. That's the most common theory among, uneducated, among educated people who don't have the sense that God gave a brass monkey. It has always been here. It's eternal. That makes it God. We call that pantheism. Most folks call it universalism. If you were to look at the conversation between UFO knots, that is aliens from outer space, that have been recorded in three books called The Matrixes, allegedly conversation between UFO occupants and American governmental agents in the Goon Lake area out southwest at Area 51 and the Nellis Air Force Range, if you look at a, at a script, a transcript of those conversations, which I have seen, which may or may not be true, every one of those aliens says the universe has always been here. Every one of them is an atheistic materialist, religiously. No supreme god. The supreme god is an electronic force field of electromagnetism that has always been here and accidentally produced these things. Number one, it couldn't come from nothing accidentally, so there had to be something here for it to come from, so it's always been here. Those are two scientific theories. And they're just about as scientific as Alice in Disneyland. The universe has always been here. This is a violation of the second law of thermodynamics, which deals with the conservation of energy. With any passage of time, there is always less energy to work with. Entropy means the loss and dissipation of energy, and it characterizes, get it, everything, 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 everything on earth, it can be proved. You see how? Anywhere, anytime, under any condition. You said, what, for example, for example, you had to eat today. You said, I eat today, then you'll have to eat tomorrow. I'm starving, Dr. Ruckman. I've had nothing to eat for three days. Okay, a little bit longer, you won't be able to eat. You say, why? Second law of thermodynamics. Less energy. Entropy. You've got to shovel something in to shovel something out. 
That's not a religion. All this Baptist preacher in these states trying to teach us and get us into his religion, I'm not even discussing religion. I'm discussing your belly. Don't eat, don't eat for three years and watch what happens to you. You're going to kick the bucket. And long before then, you've got to put it in. And when you put it in, you get less and less till finally you get old and you die. You couldn't have a used car and believe in evolution. Used cars wear out. You couldn't be a cattle breeder or a horse breeder and believe in, believe in evolution. Cats, dogs, horses, any animal left to itself to run wild degenerates. If you fellows think this law here is just somebody's religion, just don't show your wife any attention for five years and watch what kind of woman she turns out to be. I'll tell you one better than that. You get about four or five children when they're coming up about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Don't give them any guidance. Don't give them any care. Don't wash them. Don't feed them. Don't discipline. And watch them improve. Right? Don't you know, Buster? Second law of thermodynamics shows that theory number two is false. The universe has always been here. It couldn't have always been here because it would have worn out at least 150 billion years ago. If it had always been here, there had been entropy going on the whole time and a dissipation of energy the whole time, and the universe today would be just one colorless, gray, heatless mass of non-discriminate, indiscriminate mush. That's a law. It can be proved. Where? Anywhere on this earth. Plants, trees, oceans, magnetic fields, solar heat. The truth of life, brethren, whether you're old enough to accept it or not, or man enough to take it is, everything runs down. Oyashiba, the founder of Aikido, got up into his 80s someplace before they finally buried him. They buried him. You say, why? He wore out. The I and the key and the way and the harmony couldn't preserve him. He died. The book says the wages of sin is death. Oyashiba said one time when he was in meditation, he felt like he was turning into gold and became one with the universe. They didn't bury the universe. The universe is still here. They buried him. You say, well, he's one with the universe, but he's going to burn. Second Peter chapter 3. Heaven and earth going to melt with a fervent heat, and the works that are in should be burned up. Ah, right, look here. Theory number three. The universe is just an optical illusion. That is, optometry. You just see something that isn't there like a mirage. It doesn't really exist. That is, you go to sleep and dream you're awake, and you wake up and find out that you were asleep and dreaming. People who get to this point here wind up on liquor or drugs or in the nut house, the funny farm. They become boobies in the booby hatch, and all the clowns run out of the circus. That isn't scientific. This is the road to drugs and the insane asylum. Just keep on telling yourself it's not hot when it is. 
Keep on telling yourself that black and white are the same when they're not. Keep on telling yourself that men and women are the same when they're not. Keep on telling people that yin is yang when it isn't. Keep on telling people that north is south when it's not, and that hell is heaven when it's not, and you wind up in the nuthouse, the booby hatch, the rubber room, the funny farm. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. One, that's not scientific. Two, that's not scientific. Three, that's not scientific. What's that one? Folks say religion. No, that's the only one that meets the demands of science. The universe came from nothing supernaturally. That's how this book starts. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This book then gives the only scientific explanation for creation that you can find. There are no others. There are only three other possibilities, and none of them are scientific according to the laws of science. Is that clear? Now, that's where we're starting. This is the only theory that matches the laws of physics there and there and any real science. First Timothy 6.20 says to the Bible reader, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So we have our book here I showed you on the Christian's handbook of science and philosophy, which shows what science is. It's a clown. It's based on this kind of stuff here, and this stuff is not true science. It is science falsely so-called. Now, you see up theory right there? Yeah, that theory is true. Then the universe came from God and is slowly running down. It is. That matches the scientific law of thermodynamics. If God made the thing out of nothing, and since that time you can't make anything else because what he made is here, that law is right. Because what is here can't be done away with, and nothing new can be created out of nothing because all you've got to work with is what's here. There it is. That theory is science. And those theories are science falsely so-called, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Now, that's our introduction to this series of Lessons in the Word of God. We're going to have to get something straight at the very start, and we've got it straight. Number one, somewhere there's a supernatural being called God. Now, you may call him Theos or Dios. Somebody might call him Allah. Maybe somebody called him Jove or Zeus. But there has to be a supernatural being who made this thing out of nothing but himself. That is, he himself created the components through which he'd make what he made. Because he was there in the beginning, and he was all that was there. In the beginning, God, not the universe. In the beginning, God, Elohim, if you want the Hebrew. In the beginning, it was God, Theos, if you want the Greek. I don't care how you 
try to cover up the mess, somebody is there doing something supernaturally. And that's evident when you look up in the air. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Once you classify that as religion and that as science, you're through. Because that is scientific and those aren't. Oh, now having established a starting point here, let's look at this. If there's a God there, if there's a God there, would he reveal himself? If God himself made this universe supernaturally, would he reveal himself? Would he let you know he was there? Well, obviously, there's a need for a special revelation. I mean, I, I can't see God looking up here. I can't see God looking over here. If he's everywhere, I'm looking right at him, but I sure can't see him. Possible sit cross-legged, you know, and practice yoga and attain samadhi and, or nirvana or prajna and pass out of the frame. I did that. I studied Zen Buddhism under Suzuki back in Tokyo back in 1946 and 47. I've had that experience of enlightenment, but it didn't solve anything permanently. It was temporary. And that contact there didn't reveal anything about God that you would know from just going into a trance or a coma or a trip on drugs. That didn't show me who God was that made this universe. Once you get outside of your body and get out here and located out here, you're in a situation that's composed of atoms and protons and molecules. That isn't God. God's a spirit. He isn't composed of molecules, atoms, and protons. God is not the object of man's research. A man by searching cannot find out God, Job says. God is the subject of revelation. Listen to me. If there's any God there, and that's the only scientific explanation, he has to reveal himself to his creation. All right, look over here. He did it in Psalm 19.1. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his, his, no electronic magnetic field, sorry, his, his handiwork. That's a revelation. That's a revelation in nature, if not a special revelation. That's a revelation anybody can see. Look over your head, there it is. There's the second revelation. This revelation is, this time, shows up in Scripture. This has to be a form of special revelation, the Scripture. But Romans chapter 2, verse 15, doesn't talk about uh, a special revelation. It talks about a revelation like Psalm 19.1. Here in... Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 15, you read these words. And I'll begin in verse 14. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature, natural revelation, by nature, 
The things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Watch this. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, not in the book. No special revelation, natural revelation. You're born with it. Written in their hearts, their conscience, bearing witness. Two witnesses. Bud, your conscience and your heart bear witness to the fact that God is. And that's a natural revelation. You don't need any Bible to know that. And religion. Religion is out. Their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. That's a revelation of God. That revelation there is a natural revelation. That one's a natural revelation right there. Every man has those things. John says, this is the true light that lights every man that cometh into the world. Now, can a man get to know God through natural revelation? Well, he can know he's there, and he knows that he made what you see. He can get that. That isn't much to know about God. And that doesn't really reveal God. That reveals the work of God. Showeth his handiwork. That reveals his glory, the glory, but not God. But if God is going to reveal himself to his creation, we've got to consider special revelation. Now I'm running back here to Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. If you're just starting out with the Bible, don't know where the books are, that's back and that's the fourth book in your Bible. The fourth book in your Bible, Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. And God said, Hear now my words. Here's a special revelation. God's going to speak. That wasn't spoken. That wasn't spoken. This one is spoken. Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. That's a special revelation. I will speak to him in a dream. That's a special revelation. Back in the Old Testament, before the book was written, God appeared to men in visions and dreams and dealt with them. That's a third revelation, and that's a special revelation. Here's a revelation, Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. If you're a new Christian, that's the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me to the mountain, be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written. Special revelation. That thou mayest teach them. Those are called the Ten Commandments. Something right there? 24-12? That's a special revelation from God. Question. Is there a need for special revelation? He gave it. There must have been a need for it. If there is, if there's a need for special revelation, is there any probability that God could give it or would give it? Well, he said he supplied your need in one place. If there was a need for God to give a special revelation for you to know more about what you know, he'd certainly do it. Would it be possible to do this if it was needed? First, is it needed? Number two, could it be done if it was needed? Now, think about that. 
those are possibilities. Before you go throwing this book out or have a heart attack or get an emotional panic because of this book, and a lot of people do, you better consider the possibilities. If this is a special revelation of God, there's a need for it. Would God do it? Could he do it? Did he do it? That's getting something later, doesn't it? Oh, if there is a God, now we got that thing fixed, that's science. If there is a God, would he leave his own creation in darkness and ignorance if any of them wanted light and truth? No, sir, he wouldn't. You see that verse right there, John 7, 17, you know what that says? That says, if any man will do God's will, his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If you want to know whether I'm lying to you or not, it's real simple. Just make yourself willing to do God's will, whatever that is, and he'll show you. He'll show you. Christ said, if you want to do God's will, you'll know whether the guy is lying to you or not. You said, passage right there. That's Ezekiel 14. That's when a man comes to God. If he wants the truth, God will give him the truth. And if he wants a lie, God will give him a lie. Is that thing right there, Romans chapter 1? That thing there says that uh, the invisible things of him, of God, are clearly seen. Being under the things that are made, so are they without excuse. You can see what God made. You can see it. So you have no excuse. God has revealed himself. He's even revealed the invisible things by the things that are made. In other words, God's revelation of himself is not only natural, just seeing his glory and his handiwork, but special in that he has showed you things you can't see by things you can see. That's special revelation. Question, where is the special revelation? Now, that's the deal. Here's Jim Jones. I got it. Here's some cockeyed pope. I got it. Here's some priest. God gave it to our church. We're infallible. Blah, 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 blah. Where is it? If God won't reveal himself to his creatures by special means, how would he do it? Well, right there, he wrote it. Ten Commandments, which I have written. It's in writing. All right, now turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Here's another revelation. Again, this is special revelation. Romans, if you're a new Christian, is in your New Testament. And right after the gospel, shortly after the gospels, you find the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 15, verse 4, you know what you're told? You're told this. For whatsoever things were written, 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 there's a written revelation. Aforetime were written, written, written for our learning. God wants you to learn about him. But we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, 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 might have hope. Script, scripture, scribe, it's writing. God's special revelation himself is writing. It's in a book. You say, well, my religion has the sacred scriptures. How do you know the sacred? Well, I was taught that. 
you better check those verses. Because then the Vesta doesn't have them. The Koran doesn't have them. The Babylonian Talmud doesn't have them. They're not in the Puranas. They're not in the Shastas. They're not in the Gahava Gita. In those things, the Lord says, if you wonder what words I wrote, you put them to the test. And this book I have on this table stands the test. And that's the test. We'll talk about that more in a minute. All right, now about this special revelation. Here's a revelation in John, 1 John 1, 1, and 1 Timothy 3, 16. What's that? That's Christ showing up. Christ showing up reveals to you what God is like. 1 Timothy 3, 16, greater the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Boy, you talk about a revelation. You talk about a special revelation. He shows up. You say, who? This one. This one. Well, there in the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, when Jesus Christ is giving the closing statements to the Apostle John, you know what he says about himself? On the last chapter, the last book in this scripture, and he says here in this last book, Revelation 22, 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning the beginning, the beginning, and the end. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. God manifest in the flesh. John says, That which your eyes have seen, or hands have handled, of the word of life, the life is with the Father before the foundation of the world. It's true, isn't it? You said, I don't believe it. You don't have to believe it. Run on. Don't waste my time. There it is. You've got that much. This means that man has no excuse for not knowing God is, he exists, and no excuse for not knowing his nature because Christ shows up and reveals his nature. See those verses? Look them up. John 3.19, John 15.24, Mark 7.79, 1 John 5.13, Christ said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. You know what God's nature is. God is love, not an electronic magnetic force field. Now, we Bible-believing people have something the rest of you don't have. You see, you've got something we don't have. Yeah, but not something we couldn't get. I mean, all we have to do is follow what you teach to get what you believe, and we'd have what you've got, but you couldn't follow us. You say, why not? Uh, you haven't got any songbooks. books. 
this stuff here. Got more than 700 songs there about one man. You haven't got that. And you can't get it. You couldn't write them. You know why? You don't know him. You say, whoever you think is the big shot. Fellow said one time, there's one God, Allah, Muhammad is his prophet. Where your songs book about Muhammad? I haven't seen any. I've talked to a lot of Muslims, Muslims, Muhammads. They don't sing wonderful love songs about Muhammad. You say he was just a man, so was Jesus Christ. And he was a prophet. Matter of fact, he prophesied more things in one chapter in the Bible of Muhammad prophet in the entire Koran from cover to cover. I've read the Koran. Muhammad doesn't prophesy anything, except what he got out of the Old Testament. That was completed before he was born. Folks have a time of it, don't they? Don't they have a time of it? Don't they have a time of it? Isn't that something? You people out there that believe in religions, you haven't got any love songs about the person who founded your religion. Over there, somewhere around Iraq, Iran, is a bunch of apostate Muslims called Satan worshipers. But they don't have any songs of praise about what their great Satan did for them. We got them here in America, fell out named Nate McVeigh or Vey or something like that out in California that worship Satan. But the kids don't sing any love songs to him. You say, kids, yeah, children. You heard any little Buddhist children singing, Oh, how I love Buddha because he first loved me? You never will. You're short. People sing when they get happy. You're not happy. Otherwise, you'd sing. Sing about what? About whoever found your religion. Did Muhammad found? Did he found your religion? Oh, I'm just saying, uh, uh, you know, Muhammad, I love thee, I know thou art mine. You know, we have heard the joyful sound. Muhammad says, Muhammad says, hey, bud, you haven't got it. And I know you ain't got it. And you know you ain't got it. The thing is, you wouldn't dare make a change. That's what we call religious fear. All right? We have something unique here. What is it? Our God shows up as a man. Yours doesn't. You say, oh, he did. Why don't you sing about him? I can show you him books with 800 songs in about one man, and he's supposed to be dead. All right, that's a special revelation, Christ in the flesh. Now, here's a revelation here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This revelation here takes place after Christ comes. And when Christ comes to die at the cross and goes back to glory, then he sends down to this earth the Holy Spirit. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, I see down there, verse 18, these words, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed of the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit 
gives us a special revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, when the Comforter has come, he'll call all things to remembrance what I have said. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, shall come. He shall magnify me and take of mine and show it to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Reveal that stuff to the child of God. That is a special revelation. Uh, here's a special revelation, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, back in the end of your Bible. And Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, you read these words. Um, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I'll be to them a God and they shall me to be a people. That's a future revelation on Israel, and it says at that time, God's going to take his law and put it inside a fella. It ain't going to be just outside him on tables of stone or in a Bible, but inside the man himself. Finally, here's a complete and final revelation in Revelation 21 and 22. That's the last two chapters of your Bible. That's a revelation of a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a lake of fire, and the eternal state of the wicked, and the eternal state of the blessed. Their objects, their polarities, yin and yang, don't make it. Now, Four theory is now got here. Reality, one of them is true. This one who made this thing could reveal himself. There was a need for him to reveal himself. So he did. Natural revelation, natural revelation, special revelation, special revelation, special revelation, special revelation. Special revelation, special revelation, special revelation. This means no man has an excuse. Romans 1.20 says, without excuse, for not knowing God is, that he's there. And plus, no excuse for not knowing his nature, because he reveals his nature by special revelation in writing and in person in the flesh as a man. One time when a missionary was getting with a Buddhist about these things, he said, well, how much do you love Buddha? She said, I don't know what you mean. He said, well, I mean, uh, you must love this one that showed you this noble eightfold path and how to get rid of your karma. And she said, I don't know. I just never connected love with religion. Exactly. That's why you have no song. I was talking with one of these fellows downtown one day who professed to be a relativist or an absolutionist or a Benai brief or a New Ager or something or other, some cockeyed bunch of nonsense. And I said, uh, you don't have any joy. He said, sure, I got joy. I said, you have any joy. You have, may have fun, but you don't have any joy. He said, well, of course I got joy. I said, sing me about it. He said, what do you mean? I said, sing me, sing me about how much joy your teaching, your religion has given you. Sing me a song about your religion, how, how happy it's made you. He said, well, uh, I couldn't. I said, I could. He said, no, you couldn't. I said, you want to hear me? Without his permission, I tipped back my head out there in the street in downtown Pensacola with about 500 people in earshot and sang, oh, how well do I remember, 
How I doubted day by day, for I did not know for certain that my sins were washed away. When the Spirit tried to tell me I would not the truth receive, I endeavored to be happy and to make myself believe. But it's real, it's real, oh, I don't... Have a little trouble there? Have a little trouble there? People sing when they're happy. And the reason why 98% of the people in the U.N. are just miserable as a dead dog is they have no song in their heart. God never did anything for them. And if he did, they didn't know who he was or what he did. I talked to Muhammad one time after a service here in the States, and I said, what did your prophet ever do for you? And he said, uh, well, he taught me the way. I said, what did he ever do for you personally? He said, well, we recite the Shahada and stay in alcoholic beverages and pray three times a day and face Mecca. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, what did he ever do for you? He said, well, he taught me the truth. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, what did he ever do for you? And he said, I don't know what you mean. I said, I'll show you what you mean, what I mean. I said, my prophet died for me. Can't get my class, can you, fellow? Way out ahead of the pack. I couldn't see you looking behind me with a telescope. If there's one God and somebody is his prophet, his prophet is the one that died for Peter S. Ruckman. Manifest in the flesh. You don't have that, do you? Didn't think you did. You're a faker. You haven't got anything. All right. Now, closing out this first chart, notice this. If you question that, or that, or that, or that, or that, or that, God verbally, in words, writing, get him in a book, challenges any man, Buddha, Muhammad, the Pope, anybody else, to put his words, W O. R-D-S. Written. 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 And when Jesus showed up in the flesh, four accounts have been written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Put his words to the test in these places. Look them up. That's Isaiah 41. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 46. Now listen. In this book, the Bible, 48 prophecies are given concerning one individual, one God and Christ is prophet. 48 prophecies are given concerning one individual, and they are given 400 to 2,000 years before he's born before he's manifest in the flesh. All come to pass to the last detail. Forty-eight of them. Born of a virgin. He's born of a virgin. Come to Bethlehem. Comes in Bethlehem. Go to Jerusalem. Went to Jerusalem. Come in the colt the full of an ass. So he does. Here we have holes in his hands and feet. He does. He'll have stripes on his back. He does. He'll say, I thirst. He does. They'll shoot lots for his garments. They do. 
everyone comes to pass the last detail. Now, watch it carefully. <laughs> I'm going to quit talking about religion and Bible. I'm going to talk about statistical probability and mathematics. I'm going to get scientific on you. The chances of such a thing happening. 48 prophecies coming to pass one individual. The, such, the chance of that happening any time in history, anywhere on earth, under any set of conditions, are 1 out of 10 to the 157th power. That is 1 chance out of 10 with 157 zeros after the 10. There are not that many electrons in 10 universes the size of the known universe in 1996. It says 92, you can make it 93, 94, 95, 96, or 97. Now listen very carefully what I'm going to say. If Muhammad was a prophet, he couldn't win place a show. This book gives you 48 prophecies about a man who's going to show up all of them come to pass when he shows up to the last minutest detail. And the chance of that happening anywhere on this earth, any individual, is one chance out of 10 with 157 zeros after it. And if you took all the electrons in a pinhead, all the electrons in your hand, all the electrons in this room, all the electrons in the solar system, and all the electrons in the entire universe, including the nebulas and star clusters and galaxies they haven't picked up yet. There's not that many electrons in a universe ten times the size of the known universe. You know what the chances are of this not being the special revelation of God? There's a chance that nobody but a blank idiot would take. Where does that put you? Hey, man, mathematically speaking. Never mind religion. Never go to this religious prejudice garbage, okay? I mean, to quit putting on a spiritual show. Where does that put you from the standpoint of scientific mathematics? You know what gambler in the face of this earth would take on a horse race a chance of one out of 20? A professional gambler always bets in better odds than that when he bets. And if he took the odds of one out of 150 billion, he wouldn't even come close to that over there. He wouldn't come close to it. We're not talking about nine zeros, a billion, or six zeros a million. We're talking about 157 cotton-picking zeros after one. The chance of this book... These words I'm going to talk to you about here in this video, not being God's words, are chances that nobody but an insane, doped-up, drug moron would even think of taking. And that shows you where to put the leaders of the EC and the UN. Mentally. From a mathematical standpoint of statistical probability and scientific data, they are just as nutty as a pecan pie. You know what a fellow would do to take a chance like that? That if you're taking a chance that these words God wrote are not his words when they came out like that, you know the chance you're taking when you say that? Well, this is a very mild illustration. It'd be like you bet uh, 100,000 people a million dollars, you go up an airplane and make a free fall 
A free fall, brother. A free fall from 40,000 feet in a bathing suit with no other equipment and land on terra firma and get up and walk away. And that isn't even really as big as ours as the one, one here. Who would do a thing like that? Except the man who had no mind at all. This world is the leadership of men who left their brains when they got into office. They left them on the couch to have them pick them up. All right, this finishes lecture number one on finding the truth. Brief review. Reality came here by one of four ways. There are no other possibilities. What's the reality about these theories? The first one is non-scientific. The second one is non-scientific. The third one is non-scientific. The fourth one is scientific. If God is there, could he reveal himself? And would he? He did. He did. If natural revelation is not enough to reveal God, could there be special revelation? Where is it? It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. And it's there. What are the chance of these revelations being false? Mathematically. There's not a chance in a carload they can be false. Because the chance of these things, these revelations coming out the way they came out, has this against it. And they still came out on the money. Therefore, the proof of special revelation is fulfilled prophecy. And the prophecy is in a book. that a man can read. And this will bring us to our next study. Did God ever say anything? And if he did, what did he say? All right, Brother Jason, are you there?
Brother Jason. Ten fork. Amen, brother. Okay. Amen. <clears throat> All righty, folks. We're going to begin in Mark chapter four. Brother Jason, go ahead and open us in another word of prayer, brother. Before we get started here with the book. Heavenly Father, we we come to you tonight again in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your word across these many miles. Amen. And the opportunity to uh not only study your word, but uh, for the for hearing Dr. Ruckman's messages he just delivered about truth. And we ask also, Lord, that you would open the hearts of those that might download this program so that they would come to know you. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Okay, brother, Mark chapter 4. Well, folks, we went into the first three chapters. If you haven't heard them, you need to go back and listen to them. We took our time here through Mark. We're going to start speeding up probably as we get on in Mark because Mark's fast-running gospel, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff here in Chapter 4. Okay, Brother Jason, go ahead and begin at verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Now, I mentioned last program about this word strong, put in your hearts, and if you have the root, if it has root, if you're part of the, if you're, if you're the one, and it's in, it's in, you've got the root, it will grow. And like I mentioned last week, those flowers, you know, that you can cut down and they pop back up, cut down and pop back up. Same thing in the Christian life, folks. You may get cut down many, many times, and you will. I can assure you that. You will fall. But if it, you've got the root, you'll pop back up. Paul said, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not how many times you get knocked down, folks. It's passing the test, getting back up, and pressing forward. Verse 7, brother. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. 
and other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. Okay, let's look at this contrast. Christ is going to explain this parable a little bit later on, but let's see what Paul says about it, 2 Timothy 2, brother. About three-quarters of the way down where it says, in a, house, in a great house there's many vessels. Let's see, let's see the contrast. We went over it before, but we'll go over it again. You, you need to be reminded of it. should remind yourself of it every day. Second Timothy chapter 2, down there where Paul starts talking about in a great house there's many vessels. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Contrast, see, go ahead. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Polarities. Contrast. Go ahead. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Like I told you, this is where free will does come in in the Christian life. Not in predestination. Not in the foreknowledge of God. That's fixed. You're justified, sanctified, sealed to the day of redemption. We went over that ad nauseum. But when it comes to works, inheritance, position in the kingdom, you have a free will choice. That's the reason you're here. Go ahead, brother. Sanctified and meet for the master's use. Okay. And back, back to Mark, brother. Okay. Thank you. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. And that's the reason he spoke in parables. He's going to explain that to you in just a second. Contrast again. Go ahead, brother. Then seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Okay. Let's see who's tell let's see what wh who's in this mix. Turn to Romans ten, brother. Scripture was Scripture. Go up in Romans 10, about three-quarters of the way through the chapter, Paul's going to start talking about Isaiah said. Romans 10. Uh, okay, I see it. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? 
Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Okay, go right back up to verse 3, go to verse 1, read verse 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel Okay, is, context is Israel, see? Scripture, context with context, go ahead that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. Watch this close. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and doing about to establish and their... Going, and going about. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Amen. That's the Israelites he's talking about, folks. So don't get kicked off back in the back in Mark and think that he's just talking that that bunch, that multitude is not Israelites. Okay? Don't think that. The ones that are given to know the mystery of God are the elect. That's what he's talking about. Peter, James, and John, the disciples with him. That's what he said. It's given unto you. That's the reason he spoke in parables, and he's going to explain it further in just a few minutes. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's see about this gospel. Let's see what happens. Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. There you go. Go ahead. Keep on. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen, amen, amen. Back to Mark. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. You see, 
I just ran your reference to 2 Corinthians 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, who the God of this world hath blinded their hearts. You see, Scripture with Scripture. Continue, brother. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth... Oh, my goodness. No root. Problems come up. Oh, it's glory to God, hallelujah, when the bills are paid. It's glory to God, hallelujah, when the wife and you are really in love. It's glory to God, hallelujah, when the sun's shining to these fair-weather Christians. But when the troubles come, when their root's supposed to uphold, when that root is down in their heart and supposed to withstand them, instead of turning to the book, the comfort of the Scriptures, instead of believing what God said, instead of claiming the promises, they go about using worldly wisdom, making excuses, and crying in their beer. Flunk the test. Have to go through it again. Go ahead, brother. Ariseth for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. <laughs> and oh, these yeah. are they which are sown among thorns, which, uh, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, 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 a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, reasonable, reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. John 7, 7, or seven fourteen, The Lord tells you how you'll know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether it be of men. Continue reading, brother. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit. By their fruits ye shall know them. Go ahead. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Okay. Turn to Galatians five. 
Let's watch the polarity again. Let's watch the contrast again. Those, bless their heart, naive ignoramuses that do not understand polarity and try to teach the Word of God, is, is, it's, just a, it's, it's ludicrous and it's a shame. But no root, no spirit. It's very easily explained. Galatians 5, start reading where it says, The lust, the works of the flesh are these. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Pardon, in other words, go ahead. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Or have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul clears it up in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember what the Lord said about adultery. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. If you hate your brother, you committed murder. See, 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 it's not just the outward written in stone brass tacks in your face stuff. See, it's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. Let's put a little light on this. Hath no one, uh, uh, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's see what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Dealing with the same things. It's a little bit more clear. And you'll understand it a little bit better. Drop down there. I think it's around verse 3, 4, 5 where he starts talking about the same list. Practically. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, convenient, but rather being of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, watch it hath, now, watch it now, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Be there. Yeah, it clears the language clears up. No need to mess with the scriptures. Scripture explains itself. Now we could go right back, scripture with scripture, to Second Timothy chapter two, and tell, and give you that list. If you live, if you are you're dead with him, you shall live with him. And that whole list he gives about you'll get inheritance. 
in the, I've told you, if you purge yourself, it's it, that stuff there is free will choice. So what are you talking about? Because at the judgment, when you, you're at the judgment seat of Christ, only for Christians, that stuff's going to be judged and from your heart. Turn to First Peter, First Corinthians chapter three. While I'm talking, brother, let's look at it. Start around verse sixteen. You can turn there while I'm talking. This stuff needs to be pounded. This stuff needs to be in your mind daily, in your daily walk, when you run across certain situations to employ the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, on and on and on. They see every one of those, those are the fruits of the Spirit which will make you manifest the works on the outside. It begins in the heart, folks. It doesn't begin out doing something and then move back to the heart. It begins in the heart and moves outward. That's the reason you know by, that's the reason you can say, by their fruits you shall know them. That's the reason you know that any filthy mouth, blaspheming heathen, don't have the inward fruits of the Spirit because it will manifest itself on the outside. You see, it works hand in hand like a glove, folks. Start reading verse 16, brother. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Only the bride, only saved people are here. There's not a lost person. You couldn't find a lost person with a telescope at this judgment. Go ahead, brother. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Now, First Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter three. That's verse sixteen. Start verse eleven. I sent you down too far. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones. Wood, hay, stubble. You remember that? Remember what he said in Second Timothy two about gold and silver, and that. Remember the contrast, the polarities. Here's the polarities in your work, in your works. Your ju- this is your works being judged, not your salvation of your soul. Start it again, brother. Verse eleven, and start it again, and go through. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day... Wait, whoa, whoa. Every man's work should be made manifest. The motive, watch the motive. It's going to be the motive of the work that's judged. Watch it close. Go ahead, brother. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what 
sort, sort it is. What sort? The motive. The motive behind it. Folks, you could give a million dollars. You could give a million dollars to feed the poor. You could go buy clothes and, 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 and clothe the reprobates down in Shantytown. If the motive's not right, burned up. It'll be burned up. It's the motive. It's the motive. It's the quality, not the quantity. Go ahead, brother. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. There's your reward. We went through them before. The crowns, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, all those crowns, plus inheritance, plus position in the kingdom. Like the Lord said in the Gospels, I'll give you rulership over five cities, ten cities. That stuff all fits together. That's part of the reward that you will receive here if you apply what he told you in 2 Timothy 2 to purge yourself and to apply these works. There's no way to do it, folks, if the Spirit of God don't dwell in you. Or like Paul said in Romans 8, if the Spirit of God dwells not in you, you're none of his. Period. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession is confession with the mouth is made unto salvation. Christ said in Luke 16, He that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before the Father. Okay? Verse 14, brother. 1 Corinthians 3. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Okay, let's look at the contrast. If any, if any man's work shall be burned... Now watch it, comma, watch it close. He shall suffer loss. You got that? I'm going to do a whole program on what suffering loss means for you. If you think just getting in's cool. It ain't cool just getting in. You're supposed to be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. You should no more live unto yourself but unto him that died for you. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. You're supposed I just quoted it, Romans twelve one. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, not asking too much of you. It's starting to ring home now about actually how much you are rooted in this thinking world. <laughs> 
and how far away from true biblical Christianity that this world and false teaching out there has drug you away from to where it's practically impossible to think about doing these things. And only the supernatural power of God could set you in the right motion. Verse 15, brother. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But, 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 colon, but, what happened? He himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Burns away all that draw, all those bad works. See, the works are judged. The soul's not judged. This is works for reward, inheritance, position. Turn to Second Corinthians 5, brother, while I'm talking and read verse 5. This is what this stuff's about. This is why this is why you need to learn the book. This is why you need to understand the book and apply it in your life. Head knowledge, that gray matter ain't worth a dime if it's not implemented into your feet and hands and through your, through the Spirit of God. You know, I deal with a lot of people. And I and I listen sometimes to all this gray matter stuff, and I think to my I'm be thinking to myself when somebody's talking about oh what they've learned about this worldly wisdom, it ain't gonna do squat for you. It's godliness that profits you now, not only now, but also in the hereafter. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto us now. Not only now, but also in the world which is to come. Read Second Corinthians 5 and see what Paul talks about. He's going to see this. First Corinthians, he's talking to Corinthians. Second Corinthians, second letter. He's, he's fixing to uh, give you a little summation about this judgment seat here. Go ahead, brother. Anyway, he'll give you a little taste of what the lost means. What he says, suffer loss. Let's see what he says in Second Corinthians five five. Go ahead, brother. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given us given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Drop down to verse 10 and read 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We just covered in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 now. 
Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what us preachers and teachers try to do. We try and persuade men how important this is. Back to Mark chapter 4, brother. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time, but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things enter in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. See, they heard the word and received it. That word and received it. I could spend 30 minutes on and received it. And received it. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive it, did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 21, brother. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? If it's lit, absolutely, it giveth forth light. Go ahead, brother. Verse 22. For there is nothing hid which shall not be made, not not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Continue, brother. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you, and unto you that here shall more be given. If you take what's given unto you and apply it, more will be given unto you. You've heard me talk about that so many times. If it rests in the gray matter and doesn't drop 18 inches and start working its way through the toes and the feet and the hands and the mouth and 
it ain't worth a flip, folks. You're going to sit right there and spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels. Too much is given, much is required. Continue, brother. For he that hath... For he that hath, to him shall be given. You see, to he that hath, there's more going to be given to you. If you apply, just like he said in verse 24. Continue, brother. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he hath. It's a sad situation. Verse 26, brother. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. But the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. All right, you see that growth? You see that different? You see that growth? The blade, right on. The growth. There should be growth. There should be application in the life. Then there will be growth in the individual. You hear what I said? Then there will be growth in the individual. You can pour all kind of stuff into your head. That doesn't mean you're growing Christian just because you got a lot of facts. That ain't got jack squat to do with growing as a Christian. I mean, I say hadn't got jack. It has something to do as long as it falls 18 inches, as long as it's applied in the life. More will be given once it start, once you apply that. More will be given unto you. But first, you've got to apply that what you do have. If you don't, light rejected, folks, becomes lightning. Did you hear me? I'll say it one more time. Light rejected becomes lightning. Continue, brother. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than... It is all the least of all seeds that, are, that be in the earth. Is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Okay, that little bitty grain of mustard seed. If it's applied, if it's watered, you know, in good ground, watered, it grows. And it becomes a great tree. 
all these metaphors and parables he's using, folks, is is just practical Christian living if it's applied right. It ain't got jack squat to do with with uh, making sure you got a, a fantastic job and got money in the bank account and got uh, money for the kids to go to school when they get. It ain't this ain't got nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Nothing that ain't got nothing to do with it. Godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Continue, brother. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. In other words, they couldn't hear it all at one time. Just like there's a lot of stuff you just can't teach everybody, they won't get it. It'd just be like throwing it against the wall. Christ said, in one place, how can I tell you, if I tell you earthly things, you don't get it, how can I tell you heavenly things? Go ahead, brother. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things to his disciples and the, and the same day when the even was come he saith unto them let us pass over unto the other side and when they had sent away the multitude they took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm peace be still peace be still from the master or as Paul puts it in Philippians be careful for nothing but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Continue, brother. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and verse 6. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for this time we've had to spend tonight together, Lord. I pray that you take your word, burn it in the hearts and, and minds of the listeners, Father, and may it come forth unto good fruit, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you did for us over 2,000 years ago on Calvary. We thank you for that shed blood that cleanses us from all sin. We love you, Lord Jesus, and want to see you soon. There ain't nothing that no problem we have that wouldn't be solved. If you split the eastern skies tonight, but we know it'll be a while coming, but we look forward to it. And the prayer on our heart should be the same as it was on the Apostle John's heart. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless all you folks, and I'll see you next Sunday night, Lord willing. Don Spears Ministries, 3155 Louisville Street, D1, Clio, Alabama, 36017, telephone 334-397-2333. Email joydon1953 at yahoo.com.